All right, our text today is going to be found in the Gospel of Luke again. So if you turn to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 14. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. And as you're turning there, I just want, I just want you to think back over your life, especially as an adult. Because um, many of us, well, there, there may be some of us here that still live in or very near the community in which we grew up, but many of us uh, live many miles from where we grew up or or, um, or maybe we don't live that far away, but things in our, our um, childhood homes have changed drastically. And have you ever noticed that whenever you go back home, that home is not what it used to be? You ever, you ever notice that? Um, and, and of course, our culture is this way because our culture has undergone just a, a major revolution the last several years. But beyond that, at home, is, it's always, it always changes and one way it can, it, I think one reason it feels like it's not the same is because we get out and we establish ourselves and people see us in a certain role, they see us in a certain way, and when we go back home, they don't see us that way. They, they see us the way we used to be. They see us as, so, as so-and-so's son or so-and-so's daughter. They'll see us as the young man or the young woman we used to be. I know personally I've experienced this because Scarlett and I grew up in southeastern Illinois, and when, when I've gone back home and and I've talked to people that maybe I didn't know, and they hear the name Braddock. Now, understand, there are a lot of Braddocks where I come from. And just in that little area, uh, my grandparents had 11 kids, and everybody knows Braddock over there. And so when they hear Braddock, there's a flicker of recognition of the name. And guess what they ask me? Well, whose son are you? You ever experienced that? And, and so sometimes it's easier when I see the people recognize the Braddock name to say, well, I'm Dean's son, or I'm Diana's son. And I know as, as, a, as a preacher, I've gone to the church that I essentially grew up in, and it's different. It's, it's tough preaching back home because you, you, I, I get there, the building's the same, there are se- several of the people are still there, even that were there when I was a young man, but it's different because they don't see me as uh, Pastor Jeff, they don't see me as a tech for SPS, they, they see me just as I used to be. And maybe you've experienced something like that. I know that Jesus experienced something like that because he went back home and he preached in Nazareth. And and those people who knew him the longest, those people who should have uh, most warmly received him, did just the opposite. They saw him as Mary and Joseph's son. They saw him as as the brother of some of his siblings. And so today we're going to look at the the passage where Jesus preaches in Nazareth. And uh, see what we can learn from that. So if you're able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in Luke chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 14. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout, through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom... He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood, stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to sight to the, to, of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the, the, the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
and all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he was passing through their midst and he went his way. Thank you. May be seated. Now I've divided our text today under three main headings. And the first thing I want you to see is a flourishing ministry. Jesus had a flourishing ministry. Now, as, as you look at verses 14 and 15, you'll see a flourishing ministry. And what's interesting is you look at verses 14 and 15 and you say, Pastor, you might need some glasses because I don't see a flourishing ministry in verses 14 and 15. Why, why do I say that he had a flourishing ministry? Well, Luke doesn't bring this out, but he, he alludes to the fact that there's a gap in time between verses 13 and verse 14. And so... so uh, if you remember last week, and, and really the last couple of weeks, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Jesus being baptized, and then last week we talked about him going out into the wilderness and being tempted by the devil for 40 days, and at the end of verse 13 it says that the devil left him, and then in verse 14 it says that, that, that he, 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 was, uh, he, he came to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him was spreading all around. Now, the question is... And see, we just read over that, and we don't think about it. The question is, why in verse 14 would news be spreading about him? Because in verse 13, he was in the wilderness. Because he was out there all alone. Nobody saw him beat the devil at his own game. Now, he, nobody saw Jesus overcome him by quoting scripture and, and relying on the Spirit. Why would news be spreading about Jesus? And the reason is because between verses 13 and 14... Jesus had done ministry. And uh, Matthew chapter 4 tells us this. What happened was, after he was baptized by John, he went out and he was tempted by the devil, and then he went into Galilee because the Bible says that he heard that John the Baptist had been imprisoned, and he left Nazareth and went to a town called Capernaum. And Capernaum became his home base, his, his base of operations during his time of ministry. And so he, the, the Bible says that he went out, and he began to teach in their synagogues. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was, uh, he was making paralytics be able to walk again. Uh, during this time, he, he did that miracle at the, uh, the, the marriage in Cana of Galilee. You remember he turned the water into wine? I mean, Wilt's grape juice. Uh, he, he, uh, he did all these things between verses 13 and 14. And then in verse 14, he gets back to home. He goes back to the area of Nazareth. Now, naturally, large crowds would begin following him, and, and he had been doing all these miracles. Word about him had been spreading. No doubt people in and around Nazareth had, had probably uh, seen some of these miracles. Maybe they had a friend or a loved one who had been affected by them. Maybe they had a mutual friend 
of somebody that was affected by these miracles. And so that's why in verse 15, most likely, that's probably why people were, were welcoming him into the synagogue and responding so positively. Because Jesus was going out, he was preaching the kingdom of God, and he was doing these miracles. And so he began with a flourishing ministry. Things were going real well. But next, I want you to see a fickle response. A fickle response. Now, get this in your mind. Jesus, if, if you'll notice what it says, it says that he went back to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Most likely, he had spent most of his 30 years in and around Nazareth. So he goes back home. The hometown boy has gone off and has made something of himself, and he's coming home. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Now, this is not the point of the sermon, but it does stand out. Jesus, it was his custom to go to synagogue. It was his custom to go worship God publicly and corporately. Now, did everything there suit him? Well, most certainly not. I mean, he's Jesus. And, and, and I know if Jesus went into any church, this one included, that there were things that he would say could be improved upon. There are probably errors that he would say could be corrected. But did that make him stay home? No. He still went. And sometimes people today are, you ever heard the phrase church hoppers? They're ecclesiastical frogs. They, they, they go from one church to another. What can you give me? What, what programs do you have for the kids? What programs do you have for the youth? And they hop from one place to another, and then uh, it, it's just one thing after another. And then if they do settle down into a place, they're irregular in their attendance. And you talk to them and you say, why is that? They'll say things like, well, you know, the preacher, he does an all right job. He, he says that the things that he says are, are good, but man, I just can't hardly stand to listen to him. Now, you think that's the kind of stuff done and said. I have it in writing. I, in one of my preaching classes, one of the things we had to do was we had to take notes. And, boy, that was a terrible thing to preach to preachers and know that they were filling out feedback for you in a non-church setting. I mean, it's in a classroom, so it's an, an artificial, everything's artificial about it. And you can see them out there writing notes. And I, I got feedback on one of the sheets that said, had tro- it, it, it wasn't I had trouble hearing you. Is I couldn't hardly stand to listen to you, essentially. And this person was in speech and debate, and basically I talked like an old hillbilly, and that, that, that wasn't speech and debate worthy, I guess. But sometimes people say, I can't hardly stand to listen to him. He's too, much, he's too much of an old hick. Or maybe that's just the opposite. They say, I can't stand to listen to him. He uses words I can't even understand. I mean, they're this big, and he, he's trying to impress somebody that's, that's writing a dictionary. He has annoying mannerisms. I mean, the, the music, oh, man, it's too loud. Somebody else says, I can't hardly hear that music. I wish they'd turn it up. And some people says, well, you know, I, I would go to that church, but I wish they'd sing more modern songs. All they sing is the old hymns. And somebody else says, say, well, all they sing are the new things. I wish they'd sing the hymns that I grew up with. I mean, it's thing after thing after thing. The temperature, oh my. The temperature is too hot. No, no, it's too cold. I mean, people say, they come up with all kinds of reasons not to go to the house of the Lord. Now, are there going to be times, I mean, nothing, no church is going to suit your taste 100% of the time and 100% of the ways. That's just a fact of life. But you know what? The church isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And listen, there are times when we're not going to be able to go to church, when we're sick, 
you know, maybe a job situation, maybe we have sick kids or whatever it is. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your, your normal mode of operation. Anyway, that's, that's kind of a, that's a rabbit trail, so to speak. But let's, let's bring it back to what, what uh, the point of the sermon is. How do we see the fickle response? Look at verse 15. He's being praised by all. Now, let me catch this. Verse 15, praised by all. Verse 22, saying positive things. They're, they're amazed at all these things that he's saying. And, and they're speaking well of him. Verse 28, they're ready to kill him. Now, understand, they went from hallelujah to hate, from praise to persecution, from amen to attempted murder in six verses. How did that happen? Well, we might say, oh, well, you know, people are fickle. That's just the way they are. You know, haters going to hate. Heathens going to heave. That's just the way it is. But listen, Jesus was invited to address those who had assembled together. He took the, the scroll that was given to him. He opened it up to Isaiah. It, they didn't have chapters and verses back then. The text was the same, but they, they didn't have all that laid out. So he turned to the, uh, unrolled to the part where it's Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. He didn't read all of verse 2. Here is Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the, to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And that's where he stopped. The rest of the verse speaks about his second coming. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So Jesus, he, you know, many times Old Testament prophecy will we'll have his first and second comings kind of linked together. And there's no, no hard division that says, hey, this is first advent, this is second advent. Clearly, he wasn't coming in vengeance at this point. He was coming for salvation. But anyway, he, he, he reads this, and he goes and he sits down. Everybody's looking at him. And then he gives them a sermon, verse 21. Today, this, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, how many of you would like to have a one-sentence sermon? Now, you don't need to answer that. But, obviously, Jesus said more than one sentence to him. This is evidently maybe the first line of what he said. This was a, a summation of what he had said to the people. And what's interesting is none of the gospel writers record this sermon. So, anyway, he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody's wondering at the, these amazing things that he's saying and doing. And then he goes and makes them mad. Verse 23, he quotes a proverb to him. He says, you're going to say to me, physician, kill thyself. Now, when I read this, the first thought that I had was at the foot of the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, you remember in Matthew chapter 27, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were mocking him and they said, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. But that's not what he's talking about. And we know that because verse 23, he tells us what he's talking about. Look what it says. And he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now, basically what he's saying, we have a proverb that's similar to this. Where does charity start? At home, right? Charity starts at home. And that's basically what they're saying. 
Now, what does it mean that charity starts at home? Well, it means that going out and helping out these people in far-off lands, people that we don't know, we don't have a personal connection to, that's all well and good. But if you're going to help somebody, the first person you should help is the person that lives down the street from you, the person that you know the best, the person that's closest to you. And that's essentially what these people are saying. Now, they know that these verses are about the Messiah. But when they look at Jesus, they don't see the Messiah. They see the carpenter. They see the young man that they've seen grow up. They remember Jesus as a teenager. They, don't, they see him as the son of Joseph. They see him, but they can't see him because they're so familiar with him. Now, we have a saying that relates to this. Familiarity breeds contempt. They were familiar with Jesus, and because of that, they didn't recognize him for who he is. And it's like they were saying, and I'm going to fill in some of the gaps here. It's like they were saying, okay, you say you're the Messiah, you can do these miraculous things, you can, you can uh, uh, bring sight to the blind and, and what have you, uh, freedom from spiritual bondage, you can do all these things. Well, who do you... Who do you think you are saying that you can bring release to these captives? You can't, you can't free anybody. We know you. You're a carpenter. If you're such hot stuff, why don't you do the things here that you say you've been doing in Capernaum? We hear that you've been doing these things. But why, don't you, why don't you do them here? See, familiarity with Jesus bred contempt for him, and these people were hardened in their unbelief. And I say it's unbelief, not only because they got man trying to kill him, which is evidence enough, but Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 13 also record Jesus preaching at Nazareth. Scholars are divided on if those speak of a second time that he spoke at Nazareth, or if all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are all talking about the same time. I think they're probably all talking about the same time. And if that's the case, Jesus went to Nazareth, was rejected, and never went back. Now, both Mark and Matthew tell us that these people, uh, that, that Jesus did a few miracles, but not very many because of their unbelief. They disbelieved God. They weren't seeking a sign to assure their faith. It was almost like a, a scoffing. It, it was disbelieving what they were seeing and hearing. And Jesus replied, and he made them really mad. And here we see the last point, and that is a foreshadowing of his mission. A foreshadowing of his mission. Now he points out that a prophet is welcomed everywhere except his hometown. Because people there know him. They, they, they see him the way that he used to be, the, the way that, that, that he was as a young man and so forth. And then he gives them two case studies from their own history to remind them and prove his point. And so he says, well, in, in Elijah's day... Um, uh, there, there was this incident, and then in Elisha's day, which is the, his protege, there was a similar incident. He passed over the Israelite widows, he passed over the Israelite lepers, and he, he, he ministered to these Gentiles. And in both cases, the Israelites, the people of God, who should have been the most welcoming to the prophet, rejected them, and because of that, their ministry went to the Gentiles, to the outsiders, to them and when they heard this it enraged them see we look at that and we say 
Why are you so mad about it? Of course they, that's where they went because we grew up hearing the Sunday school lesson about Naaman, right? Dipping seven times in the Jordan River. It was a muddy river and he came up clean, had, had skin like a, a baby. But when, when they heard this, it was offensive. How dare he act like God would show his mercy and grace to dirty Gentiles but not us? How dare he insinuate that, that we are worse off than them? How dare he not do the miracles here in his hometown that he did in Capernaum with these strangers? How dare he imply that we're acting like our forefathers who killed the prophets? You know what? Here's a good idea. Let's kill him. Kind of ironic, isn't it? So when they, they, they get real mad and they try to take out mob justice and they run him out to the edge of town, they're going to throw him off a cliff. Now, we see that, and we don't see justice, but understand, when we think of stoning somebody to death as a capital punishment, we usually think of throwing rocks at them. Many times, that happened some, but many times, the first part of the stoning punishment was to throw somebody off the edge of a cliff or a ledge. As they were laying at the bottom, then the people that were still up on top would take rocks and throw them down or drop them onto that person that was laying on the ground helpless and killed them. Put them to death that way. So when they, they're going to throw Jesus off the ledge, they're, they're doing what they see as, as justice. They, they, are, they are so mad, they're going to, it's vigilante justice. Now the Bible says that amazingly, they get him out to the edge of the cliff, the edge of the hill, and he just walks right through their midst. And I, I guess we'd spend some time talking about how he did that. Pretty amazing, the fact that he did it. But listen, this foreshadows his mission. The Bible says Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Bible says that, now, now the Bible tells us that God has always had a plan that included Gentiles. You say, but... But he didn't send prophets to everybody. He just sent prophets to Israel. That's true. He did only send prophets to, to, to Israel. He gave Israel his law, and in turn their role was to be a light to the nations. They were to, to live in such a way. They were to, to have holy lives. They were to have the righteous laws. They were to do all these things in order that the nations around them would be drawn to the Lord. But instead of, of humbly doing that, they became spiritually proud. They, they began to see themselves as something special. They, they began to look down their noses at other people. And they detested people who were not like them. And in many ways, this response at Nazareth foreshadows the people's response to Jesus. He came into his own. He was rejected. He came first to the house of Israel. He was rejected. And the message went out to the Gentiles. Paul talked about this in the book of Romans. He uses the picture of, a, of an olive tree. And he says, Israel, the natural branches, because their unbelief have been broken off. And Gentiles, the wild olive branches, have been grafted in. And as a Gentile, I'm thankful for that. Because the, the gospel isn't just for the Jew. It's for uh, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. From all over the world. It goes out first to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. And the same response is required for the Gentile as it is the Jew, and that's repentance and faith. Repent and believe. 
And the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is held out to all who will believe. And that is regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of, of who your parents are, regardless of, of the, the type of lifestyle you've lived, you could have lived the most profane, debauched life possible. And the Bible says there's forgiveness for that in Jesus. And the offer is made to whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says that, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be saved, shall be saved. It's not based on what we can do. It's not based on what we have done. Because we don't have any merit of our own. But it's based on what Jesus has done on the cross. The Bible says that if we will confess Jesus is Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart the adoration from the dead that we will be saved. And the question I want to ask each of you is, is have you done that? Not have you gone to this church or that church? Not have you done these external works? Have you repented of your sin? If not, I, I call on you, I plead with you, do that today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just, I just want you to examine your own heart. Have you ever put your faith in Christ? You know, these people were familiar with Jesus and a bred contempt. Sometimes we can grow up in the church. We can go to the Sunday school classes, we can go to the youth group, we can go to the Bible studies, we can go to all those things and be so familiar with Jesus that we may not have contempt for him, but he's just more of like an appendage to life. We don't order our lives around him and his word. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's each of us apart from Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that that you and your boundless love have, have reached out to unworthy sinners. And have given the offer of salvation to all who would believe. And God, if there's somebody who's hearing me today that has never accepted Christ as their Savior, maybe they, they feel that they're, they're too unworthy, they're, they're too sinful. God, help them to realize they are unworthy. And I'm unworthy. And everybody else is too. But yet, Christ died for sinners. And that no matter what we've done, no matter how unworthy we are, that thy promise remains that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, we know that we didn't deserve you making a way of salvation. But we're so thankful that you did. 
And God, I pray that you'd help us to not be like those people at Nazareth who were so familiar with Jesus that they didn't see him for who he was. God, help us to not see Christianity, our faith, as just something tacked on to our normal lives. Help us order our lives around you. Lord, we thank you for your word and for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.